0: what is going on everybody welcome to another episode of the boom boom performance podcast today we have a QA one of my favorites it's Friday you guys know the deal time to answer some questions we have a lot of questions today I do not know if I'm gonna get through all of them actually because I try to keep these around an hour or less which obviously you guys know me I tend to go on rants so we'll see if that happens but we have a ton of great questions and I'm super excited to get to them so um, one thing I wanted to bring up is uh, customer service. Like let's talk about giving quality service for a sec. I just got my hair cut, and this is something that I do every week, if not every other week, and it's not even because my hair grows that fast or I need a haircut that often. It's simply because I like to be pampered. I'll admit, I'm a guy, I'm a man, but I still like to get my hair did. And at the end of the day, it just feels good. I sit down, I relax. Nobody's talking, and I get to do my thing. And I think I mentioned this on one of the previous podcasts that I had to find a new barber, and I was not happy about that because I love my guy up north. But it's just too much of a hassle to try to get up there with my busy schedule. So I found a spot around here that's super dope. And the more I go there, the better it is. Today I went in there, and they had fucking like Stevie Ray Vaughan, some like classic blues style rock playing the entire time, which for some reason just set the ambiance of this barbershop. It's super like old school barber too, which I really love. Um, The dude cut my hair super good. Everything was to the point. And then out of my surprise, he throws a hot towel on the face. And that's my first time I've ever had hot towel treatment where he put some kind of icy hot feeling lotion on my hairlines. Then he put the hot towel on there for a few minutes. Then he released it. And then he did the straight razor. He trimmed my eyebrows And I didn't ask him to do that. So I don't know if that was like, yo, your your brows are thick, bro. We got to cut them. Or if that's just part of the like exclusive extreme customer service. And then get this. He shaved my ears. And again, I don't know if I was like, yo, are my ears that fucking hairy? Is that like a thing? But I don't know what the deal was. And I do, you know, I got a decent amount of peach fuzz. I don't know if you've ever seen like an old guy's ear. It's hairy as shit. And fun fact, actually, that Shannon told me, the ear is the only part of the human body that never stops growing. And it's actually a very slow growing thing, but it never stops, right? Now, I don't know how factual this is because I got this tip from Shannon, so I don't know if she's researching people's ears or not, but I believed her because if you look at some old guys, they have massive ears, right? And it's... Very disproportionate. And I always wondered that. Like why does my grandpa have the biggest ears ever? Well, it's because his ears have never stopped growing and he's getting old. Plain and simple. But I think that might have to do with the peach fuzz as well. Maybe that keeps growing. I don't know what the deal was. But he started shaving my ears, trimming them down. And I thought it was funny. But then when I looked in the mirror, I was like, damn, my ears look better. So the point of this is simple. Two things. Two lessons that you can extract from that wild rant on getting my hair cut is, is first, go the extra mile. That guy saw me once before. So maybe it kind of clicked in his head like, hey, maybe this will be a regular customer. I'm going to treat him well. And I even brought cash, more than enough cash to pay the guy. And I still ran my card because I had to give him an extra tip because that shit was just over the top. But he went out of his way. I didn't ask for a razor. I didn't ask for a shave. I didn't ask for a hot towel. I just said, hey, I need a quick haircut, in and out. But he went the extra mile. He, he got me in and out in the timeline. I said I need to be out in 45 minutes and it was still only 45 minutes. But he killed it. He went the extra mile and he did not have to. I would have paid him the same amount of money. I probably still would have came back, but he still went the extra mile. And that's like, if if you haven't read yet, the leader who had no title, it's the same exact thing. No matter if you're the janitor or the CEO, you should be putting as much hard work and effort into every single thing that you do, no matter what, across the board. Everything, from the way you treat people to the way you sign papers, to the way you clean the fucking floor. It doesn't matter. You put in the effort. The second lesson of that is treat yourself. Once a week, no matter what, create space and it doesn't have to be something that costs money now for me this could be a walk sometimes i'll go on a long walk sometimes i'll go to the skate park sometimes i used to go to movies alone i'd go to like a matinee by myself because they're like if you go to a matinee on a sunday i swear to god the theater's practically empty depending on the movie but sometimes that is what i need to clear my head right turn off your phone chill in a movie get some space But a lot of times that's a haircut for me because it's an hour of time where I can go into a nice comfy chair. Someone can cut my hair, shave my face, do their thing, especially now that I'm getting a fucking hot towel on the face over the top. But it makes me feel good. I feel confident after I leave because I got a nice haircut. It is an hour where I can't touch my phone. I can't be on my computer. I can't work. I can't do anything. All I can do is talk to a complete stranger cutting my hair and get pampered. That is very important. So no matter who is listening to this, there's two lessons to that. Do your best effort no matter what you're doing. And the second one is create space at least once a week. It's a game changer. Now, without further ado or for the rants and morals and all that shit I got for you, time to get to the Q&A. Okay. Time for some questions. Question number one from Beth. Beth is one of my clients and actually we had a coaching call this morning and she asked me this question and I told her, I was like, yo, I'm I'm using this for the podcast because this is such a great topic and there's such a great answer behind it and like the the in-depth The amount we went into this conversation, the deepness we went into this conversation, the way we dialed it in, the way I explained it, just kind of popped in my head and it was like, damn, I have a lot more to say about this than I realized and I really wanted to bring it up on the show. Beth's question was, what is your morning routine like? And then once I told her what it was, she was like, is there a reason that those things are in that order? So I explained to her that I've been through a lot of different mentoring situations, I've had different mentors, different coaches over the years. Um, They've all had different philosophies on this. I've been through Wake Up Warrior projects and coaching and Warrior Con, which is a men's entrepreneurial coaching retreat thing. I don't even know what the hell to call it. But Wake Up Warrior is a really badass program that teaches men how to have it all, quote unquote. And everything I've learned is that it all has something to do with the morning routine. There's always a morning routine in place. Um, I just got off a call with Craig Ballantyne. We just did a podcast which you guys will be seeing in a few weeks. It's just over the top, such a great show and we talked about morning routines as well. And What I noticed is that every successful entrepreneur, period, has some form of routine that puts them in power and control of their day. So I explained to her there's a few things that I make sure I do um, in a certain order to put myself in power, put myself in control and to create more focus and productivity through my day so I can get as much done as possible from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. That's like my hours of work. After 5 p.m. I sign off and I hang out with Shannon and soon to be the baby as well um, and I don't let that budge, right? There's obviously wiggle room between 5, 5.30 at times but the point is is I get as much done as possible and I truly believe that the morning routine I have is what creates that self-discipline, that focus, that productivity and I think it will help anybody accomplish more in every area of their life, whether we're talking business, relationships, um, finances, we're talking yourself spiritually, we're talking fitness and nutrition. If you put yourself in power at the beginning of the day, if you put yourself in the right mindset, everything you do will be more successful, period. And I'm really passionate about that. And I really believe it. So I told her, rule number one of my morning routine is don't check notifications. And this is something uh, Craig told me as well, Craig Valentine. This is something a couple of different mentors have told me over time. Do not check any notifications. Don't check your email. Don't check your Instagram. Don't check your text messages. And I I stay true to that. And I'm getting ready to buy an alarm clock, which was something that Craig suggested because my phone is my alarm clock right now. And although that's great, I have to have willpower and self-discipline to make sure that I do not check that. And I will admit that I do. I don't check anything and I have that willpower. Um, When my alarm goes off, I click the button and that's it. I don't check any notifications until I've had my time to create space and do my thing. Um, so that's rule number one. Rule number two is get some nutrients in your body. The first aspect of my routine has everything to do with my health, my health and my movement, my body physically. First thing I do is I hit the coffee machine. I got to get some coffee. So I turn that on. After that, I fill up a big glass of water. I chug the water down with some squeezed lemon in it for a reason. I'll get to that in a sec. The next thing I do is I drink a greens drink. I put apple cider vinegar in it. I know it's disgusting. And I put a scoop of micronized greens supplements or some kind of greens powder, which I highly recommend to anybody who's not doing it, whether it's Amazing Grass or Athletic Greens or the Onnit EGN, whatever you're using, take something because it's very powerful. It's filled with so many nutrients and enzymes and probiotics and fiber and all these different things that a lot of us lack in our diet. And I'm a big believer in getting as many nutrients in my body as soon as I wake up. I feel drastically different and I believe the placebo effect behind it of me shuttling nutrients into my body first thing in the morning sets me up for success. I truly believe that and everybody I've talked to agrees um, and notices the same thing. You feel rejuvenated. Um, I drink that down while my uh, coffee is brewing up. I have a uh, – I put a lemon in that as well so I can get some flavor because apple cider vinegar and greens by itself with water is disgusting. So I put half a squeezed lemon in there, put like a quarter of a squeezed lemon in my shaker bottle when I chug that water um, which I use to refill throughout the day. So I've already put down some lemon. I've put down some greens powder. Then I go to my coffee. Inside my coffee, I usually put Four Sigmatic which is like a mushroom lion's mane, nootropic type of focus coffee. Um, it has a little bit of caffeine on top of the organic coffee I use. Super big fan of organic coffee. I'm a very firm believer that your coffee should be organic but that's another side rant. I put all this in there with some collagen. So I put – I like beef collagen because it's a little bit creamier. I put Vital Proteins, Beef Collagen, one scoop in my coffee. When I drink that coffee, I've already had the lemon which actually makes the collagen more absorbable which I learned from Ben Greenfield but – it's, it's a fact. So having some lemon because of the vitamin C. So vitamin C is a precursor that allows collagen to be absorbed better in your body. So I drink the lemon with my green shake and my water to make sure that the collagen is getting the use. But the point of this is the first thing I do every single morning is I chug down the greens, I chug down the water, and I, I drink some coffee. While I'm drinking that coffee, I go on a walk. Now – Sometimes it's raining and I will put a hood on. I'll put an umbrella up or a rain jacket or whatever the hell I have to do because I believe that every day I want to move my body, period. I'm a firm believer in this and I have some people that are mentor clients with me and I preach the same thing to them and they have their morning routine that help them dial that in specifically. That's one of the first things I do with anybody who mentors with me. Let's dial in your morning routine because how you start your day is how you will finish your day. It's how you will be for the rest of your day and that's huge. So, I go on a walk. Walking for me is more of a calm movement and I like that better because it allows me to think. I like to think creatively because my main thing is content. I create content and I need to know exactly how I'm going to do that. So I go on this walk. But some of my guys will do 100 push-ups, 50 push-ups, band pull-aparts, jump squats, burpees. They do something radical to, to wake them up in the morning, some kind of movement-based thing. But that's the first part of my morning routine and I believe everybody should use that. Something to treat your body from a nutrient and a fitness perspective, do it. You need to move. You need to get nutrients in your body, period. After that, I go to myself, mindset, spirituality, emotional side, mentality, everything to do with me and nobody else. I still have not checked any notifications yet. So with this, I'm still sipping on my coffee. I sit down and I pull out my journal. I just recently bought the five-minute journal and the reason I did that is because I wanted to get something for Shannon so she could share the same habit as me. Um, So we both have one now. and We can both do it. But beforehand, I was just writing in my leather-bound journal and I was just doing my three gratitudes of the day. I was doing positive focus. The five-minute journal is something similar. Three things you're grateful for, three reasons your day is going to be fantastic. And then at the end of the day, you come back and you fill out some more questions of why the day was great and what you're going to do better tomorrow. The point is, is I am filling out these gratitudes. I'm reminding myself why I have a great life and why I appreciate so many things in my life. I'm also reassuring myself of why it will be a great day. So I'm not going into anything negative. And then the last part about it is affirmations, starting with I am. And that's super powerful because a lot of people doubt themselves. They fear a lot. They get into scarcity and they do not do what they want to do or do not accomplish what they want to accomplish because they are self-doubting. Their self-esteem is low. Their self-consciousness is low. They are uh, have low confidence, period. They are not certain about themselves, whatever it may be. And a lot of people will not admit that. And I'm a very confident person, but that is exactly what held me back for years because I wasn't able to move past that because I didn't truly love myself. I didn't truly appreciate myself. I was not accepting of myself completely. I think that's a very, very important thing for people to grab onto. So just one statement, I am blank. And that one's in the five-minute journal as well. So it could be I am lean and I love my body the way it is. I am successful and I am already doing more than I thought was capable. I am more than enough. Right, You can put anything you want, but it needs to attach to yourself. It's a self-acceptance, self-appreciation, and self-love drill. Super, super powerful. So now I've attacked my body and I've attacked my mindset essentially, myself, personally. The next aspect for me is business. This is the last part of my morning routine, and it goes in two things. For me, this is the one I recommend everybody do is study. Some kind of studying and that can be business, it can be marketing, it can be social media marketing, it can be nutrition, fitness, whatever I need to study that day, I'm reading for 10 to 20 minutes to make sure that I am working on my craft. and I still haven't had any distractions, that's the big thing here. After that, it's content, which is still part of the business. I still haven't checked any notifications, but for the next hour, I am creating content, whether that's pre-writing Instagram and Facebook posts, or it's scripting what questions I'm going to do for the podcast, or it is writing a blog or a newsletter. It doesn't matter. That is my content period, because first thing in the morning when no one's bugging me is my most creative time. Now, that doesn't need to be part of your morning routine. You need to find your most creative time. and, And Be alone in that time. For me, it's in the morning and it fits into my morning routine. The last part of my morning routine is not a part of my morning routine. And the reason I say that is because it used to be part of my morning routine and now it's just part of my daily routine. And that's appreciation for somebody else. I've already appreciated myself. Now it's time to show somebody else some love. So whether it's Shannon um, today, and I actually still haven't got a text from her, so I'm guessing she hasn't really looked through her purse, but last night I left her a note and I shoved it in her purse. Then I knew she was going to look at it. Well, I thought she was going to look at it. Now I'm going to text her and be like, hey, open the side pocket of your purse. But I left a note for her in her purse and I wrote to her some stuff, right? Um, I will text my mother. I will hit up my brother. I will hit up my dad. I will reach out to a friend I haven't talked to in a while. Somebody I need to send a a letter and a, a Snapchat, a Instagram message, a text, an email, something telling somebody that I love them, I appreciate them, I honor our relationship, I miss them, anything possible to reach out to somebody you love, period. Because we need to harness the relationships we have. Now, as far as the order goes of these operations, there's absolutely a reason for this. And I learned a lot of this from Wake Up Warrior, but I've used it to this day. It goes body, mindset, relationships, business. And the reason is simple. If we attack our body and we feel good, we are healthy, we are fit, we are in shape, we will have more energy, we will have more confidence, and we will have more certainty in ourselves. Our mindset will be stronger. And you can ask anyone who is in the fitness world. If you have a strong body, you have a strong mind, period. But you have to attack the body first. After I have attacked the body, I will attack the mind by writing these gratitude journals, these acceptance uh, speeches, whatever you want to call it, a positive focus, but I attack my mind after that because I put my body in a place of power and control. After that comes relationships because if you are a stronger individual and your mindset is in a better place, you will show up as a different person and when you show up as a different person to those you love, that relationship kind of feeds off that energy. And last but not least comes business. When you have all these things in line and, you're, and your relationship's on fire, your mindset is on fire, your business takes off, period. You don't need any, any marketing tactics or strategies or hacks to get that done. It just happens. Okay, so that's exactly why I have them in that order. And my suggestion to everybody listening is simple. Figure out how you can tweak those things and just do it. It doesn't have to be the exact same way I do it, but it has to be there, period. Everybody should have a morning routine if they want to be successful. And that's like, I I believe that with all of my heart. All right. Let's check out the next question while I drink some organic coffee. No Mm -hmm. collagen in it this time. I don't know if this is lamb bleed. So this is a question from Instagram. A question from Instagram from a guy named Lambley, I don't know if that's l Ambley or l a Bly or lamb I don't know, I have no idea, but it's Lambley unless I'm missing a letter, but lambley asks, and I apologize Lambley for doing this to your name. <laughs> How would you set up a lower body training and conditioning after shoulder surgery so um. I wouldn't really change a whole lot. I would just ease into it. If you, the, Here's the deal. like If you just had shoulder surgery, you need to wait until your doctor gives you permission to go out and start doing stuff before you can do anything anyway. So at that point, I'm assuming your shoulder is actually healed. If your shoulder is healed, then all I'm worried about is just making sure we don't overload in certain positions. So for the most part, I would probably go, I'd probably go trap bar deadlift over a barbell, conventional or sumo deadlift simply because it forces you to pull the shoulders back a little bit um, and you're not going to be in a protracted position. You're less likely to round at the upper back um, doing a trap bar deadlift and that's why it was created that way, that shape, a hex bar. Um, I would also not back squat. I would be doing zercher or front squats because I would want to build the upper back instead of putting you in an awkward position as far as external rotation when you have a bar on your back. It's hard to get in that position if you have shoulder issues. Um, And then everything else I wouldn't worry about, to be honest with you. I do a lot of unilateral stuff so you don't have to load up as much. Um, and you can still get the muscular contraction effect. I would be doing a ton of rowing versus uh, pressing. I know you didn't ask about upper body, but that would be my big thing. Um, for conditioning, I'd actually probably do low intensity. I would focus on training hard, training heavy, uh, focusing on movement patterns, and doing a lot of pulling, less pushing, no vertical stuff. So I wouldn't be doing a lot of vertical pulls or vertical presses until your shoulder is 100% better. Um, I would be doing trap bar loaded deadlifts instead of um, regular deadlifts, and I would be doing front squat-based stuff instead of back squat-based stuff. And then I would take the conditioning days to just do low-intensity cardio and just burn some calories and recover. If you just went through shoulder surgery, your volume was drastically lowered, and going back into a plan where you're training three to four days a week and then doing conditioning the other days, you're just gonna overload your system. You're gonna just tax your body from the muscular system also to the central nervous system. So I would just take take a step back and do some recovery-based cardio, whether that's sled pulls or low intensity on the, on the bike or walking treadmill, whatever it may be. Alright, my trainer Ryan asks, a lot of people list studies and places of reference and as a newer trainer, what resources do you utilize for continuing education? Number one resource for continuing education is having a coach or a mentor, Period. I believe that everybody should have a coach constantly, and all the coaches I know have coaches. My coach always has a coach, and I believe that if you are going to coach people, if you're going to be a trainer and train people, you should probably have a coach because then you become more coachable, and what kind of person doesn't believe or practice or live what they teach, right? If you're training people, why wouldn't you want to be trained? I would much rather trust a trainer or a coach who is accepting to being coached and trained himself. So I think that's very, very important to realize. Um, Having a coach is the game changer, right? So like for me, my coach and mentor is Jason Phillips. I talk to him every single week. Um, He helps me with continuing education from his systems, but also what he's doing currently. Um, I learn from him. I pick his brain. He picks mine. Like, That coaching relationship is what allows me to grow constantly because I have a coach. Not only in the world of fitness and nutrition but also through business and life. Like he's having another kid. He's going through a lot of big things in his business where it's expanding. He's been in the exact same shoes I've been in where my business is at and where the growing pains are and and how to develop systems. And so he's taking me through that. And the same thing applies for being a trainer. You should have a coach that guides you through the roadmaps of how to program for clients, how to handle clients, how to systemize your clients, everything. So I think that's very important. The other thing would be, um, I guess like research reviews is probably going to be the best place to go. I would definitely say like mass research review is is a big one, right? Mass research review is, um, I don't even know what it stands for, but it's MASS and Eric Helms, Dr. Mike Zotos and... Uh, Greg Knuckles run it and they do research reviews. So they pick studies that have been coming out, they review the literature and then they break it down in their terms and their terminology in reading or writing or whatever and and it kind of breaks it down into layman terms so you fully understand what's actually going on in the study because a lot of people will read PubMed or studies in, in literature and it just goes over their head. There's a lot of confusing terms, there's a lot of confusing things that they talk about and it can be hard to grasp the knowledge and information that you're reading. So I always suggest doing that. Alan Aragon has a great research review. Um, I know uh, there was another guy who had a really good research review. I would highly recommend research reviews because at the end of the day, if you're a trainer or a nutrition coach, you need to be on the upper edge and, and you need to be have your kind of finger on the pulse. I'm subscribed to all these things. Um, and, and I try to keep my finger on the pulse and, and separate myself every week to read some of these things so I can be up to date on all the things that are coming out. Um, creating a time block actually as we speak. That was one of the things Jason talked to me about on the phone is I need to manage my time a little bit better because it can be hard as an entrepreneur, especially because I have a baby coming. So for me, I'll have a dedicated time block for studying where I do those things. So I would suggest doing that as well. I would suggest the research reviews. And then just any book that you can get a hold on. I mean, uh, for nutrition, I love uh, How to Heal Your Metabolism is a great book. Um, Deep Nutrition is a great book. Uh, Jason Phillips' book is a great book. My Macronutrient book is a great book. So if you want continuing education, there's one good, really good source. I break down macros and uh, calories, micros, supplements, meal timing, frequency, all these different things. Um, and it's it's 20 bucks. You can get the link for that in the show notes. Uh, it's called The Nutrition Hierarchy. So you can grab that. That's a great resource. Jump in the Boom Boom Performance. Uh, the Boom Boom Performance. God, it's always a tongue twister saying that fucking name. I picked a bad name for my business. Boom Boom Performance Forum on Facebook, the private forum. Um, and you can ask me any question because I'm willing to help you guide along the way. Um, and then certification courses, right? So like Jason Phillips, I'm a huge fan of the NCI. Obviously, I'm biased because he's like one of my best friends. But NCI is a great thing. Uh, Nutrition Coaching Institute, really good. I'm actually sending my assistant out there to take the course because I'm in DC coming up in April because I believe in it so much. Um, Power Eating is a great one too. Um, There's so many books that you can read. Like at the end of the day, like asking me where to get utilized for continued education from a book standpoint is just it's just too much to talk about. I would highly recommend the NCI Nutrition Certi- uh, Certificate Institution, or sorry Nutrition Coaching Institution f- when it comes to getting certificates. Um, Precision Nutrition is another great one. And then uh, just reading people's books and, and stuff like that, man, research reviews, which is a game changer as well. Um, there's so much I could say on that. All right. Tina Pace. Tina Pace asks, macro suggestions slash supplements to support reactive hypoglycemia. So hypoglycemia is a fancy term for people who have extreme insulin issues or blood sugar drops post uh, food consumption. So when they get blood sugar issues, shaky, things like that, very scary thing, very scary feeling, not a good feeling, uh, really edgy and, and tweaky and, and twingy. It's not, not fun. I've had very mild. I'm not like hypoglycemia, but I've had clients who are and, I, and I've experienced a little bit of it. It's not fun. What I would suggest is there's not a whole lot of supplements that are going to help you on this. Um, I would say like you could have pre- or post-workout carbohydrates, like micronized. So, like, uh, cyclic, cyclic dextrin might help you uh, to keep your blood sugar stable throughout your workout um, to help Battle that insulin response, that cortisol response post-workout if you can't get to a meal. But for the main part, you just want to focus on – you want to focus on fibrous foods. You want to focus on balanced meals, so meals that don't just have carbs or sugary foods. You want to focus on protein, fats, and carbs. You want to focus on somewhat eliminating sugars because they're going to have a greater response uh, on the glycemic index and that can cause a more radical blood sugar response. So you might want to think about having more balanced meals with fiber, with protein, with veggies, with fats, and just splitting up your day. Those are the type of clients where meal timing and frequency actually does matter because if you're only eating twice a day, you're going to experience more of that. Where you have this big meal, you get this big insulin dump, um, it's not going to be a good result with hypoglycemic people. What I would suggest is making sure you're eating four or five times a day with balanced meals across the board. Um, you still want carbs, free post, workout, yada, yada, the basic things, but for hypoglycemia, uh, hypoglycemia clients, I'm always going to suggest a more balanced approach, four to five meals a day, protein in every meal, shoot for fibrous veggies and carbohydrates, fats in every meal to slow the digestion down so you can get from meal to meal without having those, uh, those responses. All right, guys, quick interruption. Sorry to break up the podcast, but I do need to give a special shout out to my sponsor, Health IQ. Guys, at the end of the day, we all need life insurance. Whether we want to think about it or not, it's pretty damn important. And if there's anybody out there who has families, which I'm pretty sure there is, You've probably thought about it before because you want to keep your family safe. Well, Health IQ is pretty damn cool because Health IQ is targeting fitness and health enthusiasts. So whether you are a trainer, a CrossFitter, a marathon runner, or... You're just a general average Joe or Jane who practices good nutrition. You follow a diet and you have proof for this. Well, Health IQ is looking out for you because they are doing the extra work. They're going the extra mile to make sure that all this feedback that you have, whether it's a Fitbit, a MyFitnessPal, your training logs, your your competitions, whatever it is, that stuff counts. So you actually get an exclusive rate because you are going out of your way. You are investing time. You are investing effort. And you are investing money and in being a healthier individual. And there's something to say about that. There's there's credit to be given and Health IQ is giving you that credit. So one thing I want all you guys to do is go check Health IQ out. You can literally get a free quote just to see what it would be to protect your life and family. But what you can also do is you can actually go take a test. And the cool thing about the test is it rates you. It gives you a score. So it's kind of a cool way to find out how healthy are you? How much do you know about health? How much do you know about fitness? How much do you know about weight training? Um, I'm going to be personally taking the test this weekend, and I'm going to release my score on the podcast. Now, whoever can beat my score is going to get a free call with me. Now, I know that might sound like, Not much, but what I do on these calls is I literally break down where you're at with your training and nutrition and I systemize it for you. I help you find the way to your goal. What is the path you need to follow to get to your end result, whether that is becoming a better trainer, moving into the online space, social media marketing, or it's like, hey, I'm right here and I want to be right here with my body fat levels, my fitness, my powerlifting, my training, my CrossFit, whatever it may be. I'm going to jump on a call with you if you can beat my score. So I'm going to pick the top three people that can beat my score, if there's even three people that can beat my score, because let's be honest, my score is going to be an A+, plus. but I'm excited to hear you guys' score, so do me a favor, go to healthiq.com slash boom boom and go take the score and if you're there get a free quote talk to somebody on the phone and if you do talk to somebody on the phone give them the promo code boom boom they're going to tell you exactly what you can save um what this can do for you from a life insurance standpoint and how healthy you are and how much that's going to help you out in the long run and i want to see if you guys can beat my score so once again go visit healthiq.com slash boom boom check it out take the quiz get a free quote today It's worth it, guys. Now, without any further ado, let's get back to the Q&A. Next question. Ah, we got Marcus again. From Rohan from Lord of the Rings. Marcus Rohig. Rohrig. Rohrig. Sounds like uh, (laughs) if I got any Family Guy fans when uh, Stewie always says, Cool whip. And he says whip with the H super enunciated and Brian gets pissed at him. That's what I feel like I'm saying when I say Rohrig. Marcus Rohrig, active and passive recovery strategies and effective tools for recovery slash improving recovery or in general, everything about optimizing recovery, smiley face. So he obviously wants to know how the fuck to recover better, (laughs) which is great. So... Um, Honestly, the number one thing for recovery uh, that I see missing is calorie consumption, proper nutrition, hands down. I see a lot of people who do not prioritize their macronutrients. They do not prioritize how many calories in a day they are getting. And because of that, they end up falling short and they end up recovering way less. They end up having shitty recovery and they're not optimizing recovery. Um, And a part of that is because they're not optimizing their hormones. So their testosterone might be lower. Their growth hormone might be lower. Their cortisol might be too high. Whatever it may be, muscle protein synthesis. All these things that matter when it comes to nutrition. So my number one thing is always going to be dialing the nutrition because that's going to be the easiest thing to implement. The next thing is going to be sleep. And as you notice, these are simple things. We don't need to talk about float tanks and cryotherapy until we are optimizing our our nutrition and our sleep. If you are not sleeping seven to eight hours a night, you're hindering your results, Period. There's people out there who are entrenched in the science and the studies and all this stuff and they will gladly, openly admit that tre- or sleep is the most important factor in fat loss and they will say that over training and nutrition and the reason being is because your body is recovering, your hormones are regenerating faster and that is going to remove fat, it's going to build muscle, it's going to build strength, it's going to help you across the board. So those are my top two no matter what. After that, um, I would say optimizing your training split. I think a lot of people overtrain, they're doing shit every single day and and there's nothing wrong with strength training 6 days in a week in in a row, but you have to optimize it and plan out your volume accordingly, your intensity accordingly, your frequency accordingly because a lot of people don't take into consideration how how much detail and how much like time goes into proper programming. I mean, just wait till you hear John Russell on the podcast next week. He goes in so in depth that it's like This is what goes behind the scenes on why we're doing this many sets, this many reps, this exercise before this one, this on Monday versus this on Thursday. So optimizing your your training split and your training program is going to be one of the biggest things to help optimize recovery because you're just not overtraining, right? And overtraining is like a glorified term, but the point is, is if you're not optimizing your program, you're not optimizing your recovery, period. Um, After that, I would probably say... Any form of tissue regeneration and that could be anything and I don't think cryo is better than float tank and I don't think float tank is better than um, like a Russian bathhouse where you're doing like cold plunges and then hot steam room. I don't think they're better than Epsom salt bath. I don't think they're better than massage. I think they all work equally well if you're open to the opportunity or open to the exercise or to the practice right so one thing about massage is massage can be unbeneficial for some people because when people go too deep in a deep tissue massage it's it's painful and your central nervous system will turn on a signal that tells you to tighten up and when you tighten up they can't relieve the tension in your tissues so therefore that might not be a good strategy for somebody who tenses up or who doesn't like deep tissue right Versus me, I hate Russian bath outs because I hate cold water. So I'm so like – I'm psyching myself out before I even get into the cold plunge that I'm probably negating some of the benefits because I just can't calm down and relax and let this help me recover. So I think all those strategies are great and those things come after nutrition, after sleep, and after optimizing your your program. But I think any of those work really well. I think that – I think Marcus was looking for some crazy – science-based like really cool approach like the new technology on whatever it may be but at the end of the day it's stress everything is stress so you need to learn how to calm down your central nervous system you need to learn how to calm down your cortisol levels and you need to just recover and you need to optimize your training so you can optimize that recovery and usually that comes down to nutrition then sleep then programming and then these extra little details Um, so that's all i really got to say on recovery Tanya Fomenko, sorry if I said that wrong. Tanya Fomenko has a question. She said, how to balance strength training with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but also not overlook mobility and flexibility and recovery. Um, So again, we're going to talk about programming, right? Like if you're doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you need to understand that that's an intense sport. Your nervous system is going to be fatigued just from that alone. So if you're strength training, lifting heavy weights five days a week on top of three days a week, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it's a simple answer. Do less strength training. Um, I would stick to doing one training session per day minus one day a week having a rest. So if you're doing BJJ three days a week, you're you're training three days a week, right? And then one day it's a complete rest day. Um, For... How to balance it, that's going to be your number one thing. Alternate between the two and then try to negate the type of like – if you look at BJJ, it's a lot of body weight. It's a lot of uh, isometric-based stuff because you're constantly grappling and constantly tense. So in your strength training, I probably wouldn't do a ton of isometric-based stuff. I would probably do more functional movement-based stuff, full range of motion, slowing down the tempo, Focusing on movement versus how much load you could throw on your back because you're already kind of fatigued from a nervous standpoint from doing so much BJJ. So more of a, a functional bodybuilding approach might actually help you. More dumbbells, kettlebells, body weight, um, some barbells but not a ton. Things that are really joint friendly is going to be your go-to. Band work, um, stuff like that. You're also going to want to do probably more higher rep stuff. Now, it depends where we're going with this. I would suggest once a week doing some heavy, load, low rep stuff because you want to build strength. If you're going to get better at BJJ, plain and simple, but the rest of the week, I would actually personally set up in a functional bodybuilding style approach, focusing on range of motion, um, focusing on tension, focusing on tempos, focusing on controlling the movement through the entire range. Um, and I just wouldn't overdo training period. Um, that's probably how I'd balance it. Now I would be doing... A lot of mobility and flexibility work, I would say like mobility is going to be important for anybody, so I don't think it it makes any difference. I think that if you look at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you're kind of forced into mobility patterns uh, because you have to be flexible. So if you're doing BJJ, you're going to either, one, be a pretty mobile and flexible person from that, or two, you're going to notice all your weak points and all your parts that you need to work on mobility-wise while you're doing BJJ. I know when I did Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu... All these red flags came up of like, okay, I need to work on this and this more than anything, right? Like I I don't need to worry so much about shoulder mobility and thoracic mobility because I'm good there. But my hips and ankles are screwed. I need to work on that, right? I can go back and work on those things. So I would say for mobility, I would just pinpoint the parts that you notice come up during your BJJ matches and hammer those parts more than anything. Um, And then I would focus on a lot of tissue work you're just getting beat up, plain and simple. You need to do tissue work. You need to be taking care of your tissue. You need to be taking care of recovery. So going back to that last question, all of that stuff, that's you 100%. Uh, But as far as balancing it out, I wouldn't like, you don't need to be doing two days. Like don't look at it as like, oh, BJJ isn't like a muscle building thing. So if you want to get bigger, build more muscle, build more strength, um, that doesn't mean you need to do BJJ in the morning strength training at night. I would actually say that doing less is actually going to, deliver more. It's just about being smart with your program design. Next question is from my man, Franco, Franco Guzman. Thoughts on percentage-based training, auto-regulating your training. Um, which do you prefer? Oh, okay, I get it. So thoughts on percentage-based training or auto-regulating your training, which do you prefer? I prefer auto-regulation for a couple reasons. One, I do not believe that a percentage-based approach is always accurate of what you should be doing. I think that you can go in rough estimates and I think that I think that auto regulation, excuse me, auto regulation just allows you to meet yourself where you're actually at, right? I see there's like, like for instance, 531. 531 is a percentage based program that works unbelievably well to gain strength. The issue is, is if I come in and today I need to hit 75, 85, Or sorry, 65, 75, 85 for three sets of five across the board. Um, Or maybe that would be, yeah, no, I think that's the three sets of five weeks. So come in, I'm supposed to finish at 85% for three sets or for one set of five because you would go a set at 65%, a set at 75%, and a set at 85%. Now, from a scientific basis, from a practical standpoint, like everything that we know about science and studies and research, that makes sense. That percentage for those reps, for that volume, that'll make you stronger, no doubt. The issue is if I come in there and I'm just not feeling it, I, I had a shitty day of sleep, um, I had a shitty day at work, I had family stress, my cortisol's through the roof, um, I didn't recover all the way, whatever the situation may be, that percentage doesn't take any of those lifestyle factors into, into effect. I think that it's good to be like, okay, 85%, I should be at about 245 I'm going to work up to a close to that. If I can hit 245, great. I might even hit more than that, but I'm going to auto-regulate. I'm going to base how I feel on everything. I use a a RPE scale for almost all of my clients' programming, and that's rate of perceived exertion, and that's kind of a good way to auto-regulate it, right? So I would rather say, okay, you're going to do three sets of five today, and your RPE should be at a nine, meaning you push it. A nine is a tough, is a, is a really tough point on an RPE scale. So, if we look at uh, like an RPE of 10, 10 is maximal effort. So, if I had 10 reps and my RPE is nine, that means I'm hitting nine and I have one in the tank, or I'm hitting 10 and I have one in the tank, right? You're going to that, that threshold. You're going to 90% versus 100%. Now, that RPE of nine might be 200 pounds, it might be 225 pounds, it might be 265 pounds, who knows? But the point is is I'm taking my body to that RPE and I can program for you where you should be at from an intensity standpoint because that's how we control our nervous system, our recovery, our our results across the board without overdoing anything. If I push myself to 85% no matter what, um, according to the paper, and I get injured, now I'm screwed for weeks. So I'm a big fan of auto-regulation. I think that percentage-based training – makes sense from a science perspective. I think it makes sense from the literature and I think programs should be based off that. So it makes sense to say, hey, we're doing sets of five at around 80 to 85%. I think that makes sense. But I think that auto-regulation is something new and it's something very, very smart to implement into all of your training programs, all of your clients' training programs, to make sure you're meeting them where they're at because 90% of people listening listen to this podcast are gonna be lifestyle-oriented clients. And we have to remember that we're not go- doing this to get on the platform. Now, if you are doing this to get on the platform, maybe you take those percentages a little more seriously because you are a power lifter. That's your sport. That's why you're lifting. So I think it depends on the client. I think it depends on the individual. But for the most part, I would choose auto-regulated programming and, and exercise over percentage-based training hands down any day because of that reason. It takes into it takes everything else, every st- other stressor in your life into account before going into that lift. So I think it's really, really smart. Um yeah, that's my thoughts on that, plain and simple. Melina Olivia D De... oh, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna screw this one up. D De... D Paiola Paola. Oh my god, I sound horrible. D-I-P-A-O-L-A. I know it's like a silent something. D Piola. Piola? I don't know. Melanie. Melana. Melina. Melina. <laughs> I am horrible with names. This is so bad. God, all right, Melina, more glute building stuff, love that episode, well, I'm glad you love that episode, so, um, little teaser, I am coming out with some programs soon, guys, so be ready, the first program is gonna be upper-lower split, it is not a glute-focused program, but all my programs have a lot of glutes in it, so, um, and I, because I believe guys and gals should be both doing this, this is a muscle It's going to be called Functional Muscle, and it's a muscle hypertrophy-based program. Now, you could be going for strength and size. You could be going for fat loss. This could be used during a cut so you can maintain all your muscle mass and strength while you cut. This could be strictly hypertrophy. It could be anything, but um, it's it's a hypertrophy – focused program from a functional standpoint meaning we're doing functional movement patterns to get that result um that's the program i'm going to be launching soon it is actually with my editor right now so i should get it back soon and that will be for release um everybody who is in the boom boom performance forum on facebook the private facebook group will get a discounted rate so if you're not in there jump in there now and you can get first grabs at a discounted rate for my program that should launch this month so i will keep you guys in tune with that um but shit, I don't really know how to answer this question. More glute building stuff. Um, let's see. My favorite glute building exercise is going to be the reverse hyper or the hip thrust. I think those are the two that have been shown to target the glutes best from a EMG rating. Um, so they actually have a like electromagnetic – Something I can't even remember what EMG stands for, but essentially they put these things on you and they they see how much muscle activation is going on when doing an exercise. And I believe the reverse hyper actually had the highest um, or maybe it was a a kickback on the reverse hyper. So kickbacks are really good too. Um, But the biggest thing I can say is like if you want better glutes, you should be hip thrusting. Um, I don't think – like what I think is taken out of context is when girls are doing – Hip thrusts, bridges, kickbacks, side leg raises, abductions, band resisted, like uh, ab- laterally resisted, so band around your uh, knees, doing squats with those. You're doing like monster walks. You're doing like 80 different glute variations when. I don't think that's going to make a big difference. I think you're better off picking like three or four really great exercises, spreading them out throughout the week and hitting your glutes three times a week. I've had before and afters from women that literally lift their butt like quite a bit um, from doing my glute-based programming and the biggest thing I focused on was I would have like two very dominant glute exercises in each workout three times a week. So they would strength train three times a week. Now, they were doing maybe hill sprints one day. They were doing sled pulls. They were doing deadlifts. Those things are still going to hit the glutes. So they're hitting their glutes way more than that. But I had a hip thrust variation three times a week. So one day would be a close stance hip thrust going in the reps of like 15 to 20 reps. So you have a closer stance, more abduction, and you're driving your hips up um, on the hip thrust, but you're doing high rep volume. So you're doing like 15 to 20 reps, more of like a burnout, right? Three to four rounds. One day was a heavier lower rep one. So we would do like six reps six to eight reps at a really heavy load and then the third day was another moderately high so like a 10 to 15 rep range and we're doing like a unilateral based hip thrust so a single leg hip thrust or a single leg bridge something along those lines but they're hitting that bridge movement pattern three times a week all within different intensities different load schemes different rep schemes um so we're hitting the glutes three times in that hip hinge hip thrust positioning um with different loads and, and intensity techniques um then I was picking one other glute dominant exercise of each day, so that could have been a um, any type of abduction, so lateral based movement. Um, it could have been a donkey kickback style thing in a quadruped position. I think that's a really good one, whether you're doing band resisted or weight resisted. Um, you do literally quadruped position with kickbacks. Um, so it could be anything. It could have been. A, I think another one would have been a sumo squat. It kind of depends on the individual which exercise I picked, but they all had some hip thrust variation three days a week at different loads, different intensities, different rep ranges, and then they had one other glute dominant exercise each of those days as well, and then the rest of the day was a full body training session. I think that is the smartest way to go. I think hit the big bang for your buck glute exercises, so hip thrust and reverse hypers are going to be two of the biggest ones. I would do some kind of lateral work, some kind of abduction work where you're ripping a band to the side, a weight to the side, something along those lines, and I would make sure your frequency is three to four times a week because when we hit the glutes three to four times a week they're getting more stimulus and there's going to be more of an anabolic response to grow and that's the goal here right is to grow them Um, i think that's the best way to go Stubbs fitness what do you use or how do you personally track your client's biofeedback measurements i heard you mention this a lot lately This question was like a paragraph long, so I summarized it. But basically, he was asking how I track biofeedback. So let's kind of get into first what biofeedback is. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you probably already know because I talk about it a lot. But if you don't, biofeedback is basically the hormonal cues your body is sending us, letting us know which way your body's going, which way your physique is going to go, which way your recovery is going to go, which way everything is going. Um, So we look at specific things that tell me if you are hormonally improving or declining, I guess you could say. And that gives me the knowledge needed to use some kind of tool, whether that is reduced training, uh, increased training – work on sleep, work on environmental habits, work on stress, work on increasing carbs, decreasing carbs, work on increasing fats, decreasing fats, protein, meal timing, uh, post-workout nutrition, whatever it may be, these are the signals that I get to use my adjustment tools. So it's basically a, a metric that I use to let me know where you are at hormonally on a weekly basis. So biofeedback is just that, it's a hormonal metric. The things I look at are sleep, stress, mood, cravings, hunger, performance, and recovery slash fatigue. Those are the big ones. Now, If somebody's really hormonally damaged and I know them pretty well, I will throw sex drive in there as well because I do believe that sex drive is a big key. If your sex drive is not up, that tells me that your hormones are probably out of place. That's a really, really big indicator, especially for guys, for testosterone. But in general, libido should be high with everybody. It's a natural thing for for males and females, for everybody to want to have sex with their partner. That is a normal thing. So if your libido is low and you're not craving it, then something's off um, and that gives me a big sign. Now, obviously, I don't tell all my clients to let me know how their sex drive is but if I'm comfortable with them and we've had that conversation then it makes sense to throw in there so it kind of depends um The way I personally do these, there's a couple ways we can go about it. There is, I have a couple people who are super analytical. This is what I do um, personally because I'm this way and it doesn't fuck with my head to weigh myself every day, but I I do measurements every single day. So every single morning, I weigh myself. I rate my sleep. I rate my energy. I rate my motivation. I rate my, um, pretty much all my biofeedback, right? Not all the way, like I don't rate, uh, I rate hunger. I don't rate cravings. I don't rate stress. I pretty much just look at, Sleep, energy, in- macro intake, weight, stuff like that. That gives me the big bang for my buck. At the end of the week, I do look at all of them. And that's what I do with 95% of my clients. Not everybody's doing this daily thing, but every single week they rate each of those biofeedback measurements on a scale of one to five. Super simple. You don't you can use a Word document, an Excel sheet, a PDF. You don't need anything crazy to rate these. You just need to tell people, hey, on a scale of one to five. How is your hunger? If it's a five, that means they're hungry a lot. It's not a bad sign. It means their metabolism's up. Obviously, ravenous hunger all the time is kind of annoying, so we got to focus or kind of look into things a little bit deeper, but uh, for instance... How is your craving on a scale one to five? I don't want to see it at a five because if you're varying your diet, your sleep is good, your stress is low, you shouldn't be craving food all the time. It's not a good sign. Um, What's your stress like on a scale one to five? Obviously, I want that on a one because a five would mean you're really stressed. What's your recovery like on a one to five? I really want it at a four or five. Four or five means you're like – in an ideal world, I would actually say a four is great because – it's hard to say because five would be awesome. Like you should be recovering a lot, but I want that recovery to be based off of your biofeedback, meaning you're hormonally in a good place. Your stress is low enough to where you are recovering, not in the sense where you're training like a wimp and that's why you always feel great because you don't train hard enough. Um, How was your stress? How was your sleep on a scale of one to five quality? And how many hours did you get? So you can keep it really basic. So what I would say to you is how I measure it is usually with like, Uh, google docs or word documents like literally send me a word document every day ranking these things or an email ranking these things every day i want to know your weight i want to know your biofeedback what went well what didn't go so well and i can honestly say that this is probably one of the most powerful tools that allows me to get clients such crazy results is because they are ranking their biofeedback on a weekly basis and then we are adjusting everything along the way I'm really good at adjusting nutrition and training to make sure that we are eliciting change and breaking through plateaus. And this is one of the tools I use to give me there. But on top of that, it is extreme accountability. So when someone works with me, they are held accountable the entire way, which means they're not going to fall off the plan because they have purpose. They have drive. They have motivation. They have accountability the entire time. I'm there for them no matter what. Um, so I think that's really big. But you don't have to do anything crazy for it. I mention a lot too because it's really important. All right, Jacker Mezzian from Instagram. I have a question regarding weight loss for sport-specific reasons when body fat is already pretty low, about 12%. How would you go about it? Is there a healthy manner to lose muscle? I would say there's never a healthy reason or way to lose muscle. Um, actually, I lied. There is a healthier way. There, losing muscle, period, is not healthy. So in general, health is not a... It's not a thing when we talk about weight cuts for sport because we are depleting glycogen. We are depleting water. We are removing not literal muscle tissue, but the substrates that go into muscle tissue like glycogen, like tissue, like water, like these things that we store in there to keep our muscles full. It's not healthy to deplete that. Bodybuilding is not healthy when you get on stage. UFC, MMA fighting, it's not healthy when you cut weight, but... You're an athlete. You're not doing – you're not becoming a fighter for, for – and I'm assuming he's a fighter if it's a sport-specific reason to weight cut um, or powerlifting, I guess. Um, or, but no matter what the sport is, you're not doing it to be healthy. You're doing it to perform. So I, it goes back to that like triangle of awareness, right, um, that IN3 always talks about. Aesthetics, performance, lifestyle we need to like longevity, right? We need to balance those out, but we need to prioritize one if we want to go all in on one. If we want to see like fantastic results and aesthetics, we got to kind of leave uh, longevity and performance a little bit on the back burner. Same thing goes with performance, same thing goes with longevity, right? So um, there's no real healthy way to do it. But what I would say is the healthiest way to do it at the last minute is probably going to be some form of some form of glycogen depletion uh, via water and carbohydrate cutting because that can be replenished pretty rapidly. Um, So if we cut water and carbs and we deplete ourselves, we can at least know that within 24 hours, we can replenish water, replenish glycogen, replenish sodium, and we can still make sure that we have the muscle tissue. Um, We're just filling them back up. Regardless, if you wait till the last minute to make a weight cut, it's not going to be very healthy. You're not going to perform at your most optimal. And I would say that the best way to do it is to – stay around and hover around your weight class. So if you if you have a weight class of 145 I would suggest not going, not like constantly weighing 170 because you got to cut 25 fucking pounds to get there. Not a very smart thing. And there's some people who do that. Um, and there's drastic measures where people gain or cut drastic amounts to hop into a new weight class to try to break a record, which I understand. But at the end of the day, I think the smartest thing is to hover somewhat close, like within five to 10 pounds of your fighting weight, because that's going to allow you to cut less. You can replenish water and 10 pounds of water and glycogen in 24 hours easy and not suffer too much from it. Um, so that's kind of my thoughts on that. I would hover around it and I would I would really focus. And then the big thing there too is like if you're going to do a weight cut and you're cutting at the last minute, one of the smartest things you can do is to actually like go all in on micronutrients during that cut. So if you're depleting water, you're depleting glycogen, you're cutting last minute to get onto a weight for a sport, I am like m- like – Dosing like microdosing, tons of micronutrients, like just like doubling down on that with my client because one of the things that happens when we deplete is we flush nutrients, right? We're flushing water, we're flushing carbs, we flush nutrients, we flush vitamins, minerals, we flush sodium, we flush a lot of things that we need to protect our immune system. And when we're training, we're fatiguing our central nervous systems down. We're already fatiguing our immune system, and that's going to cause us to get sick and break down even more. We don't want that when we're trying to perform. So I'm taking extra greens, drinks, I'm doing extra fruits, extra veggies, extra just tons of stuff, um, and I actually know a couple of people who train professional fighters, um, Jason Phillips being one of them, and he agrees and does that exact same philosophy with his uh, fighters when they get into the octagon. So that would be my best recommendation for you. All right, final question is from... You know what? Like Instagram has the most difficult names to pronounce. So we got to stop doing usernames. We got to start doing real names. Kalgagnini. C A L. I'm I'm going to spell this shit so you guys can see it's not just me being an idiot. C A L C A G N I N I. One. Kalgagnini. How do I turn coaching into my full-time job? Right now I am a I am not 100% happy with my career. I'm a teacher. And I've always felt like coaching nutrition and fitness would be the perfect career for me, but I don't know where to start. And I hate to say that money is one of the factors keeping me at the job I'm at. I guess what I'm asking is how can I start and is fitness and nutrition coaching a financially stable career? I think anything that you are truly passionate about and good at doing is a financially stable career, no matter what. I'm not going to talk numbers on here, but this is my career. Nutrition and training is my career. It always has been my career. And I'm, I'm happy to say that I can support my family doing so. Um, now, what I will say is I am so over-the-top passionate about training and nutrition that there's no way I would not succeed in this. Right? Like I put so much effort into these podcasts, into my videos, into my Instagram, into my blogs, into my coaching, into my emails, into everything I do because I'm so fucking passionate. And I would do that even if I didn't make as much money, no matter what. Because this is what I love to do and I didn't get into it to make money. So that being said, if it is something that you can go all in on and it's like a burning passion that keeps eating at you until you do it, then I absolutely think it's a financially stable career for you to choose because of that, because your attitude, because you're passionate about it, period. Now, how do I get started? You just do it. Uh, the longer you wait, the worse it's going to be. There's never going to be a right time. And this goes for anybody trying to jump into a new career or make a big move or invest in coaching and mentorship and travel, whatever the experience might be. There is never a great time to do anything, to start anything because we have social events, we have birthdays, we have family, we have bills, we have all these things constantly going on. There's never going to be a great time to make a career change. But if you don't do it, you will regret it for the rest of your life. And regret is the most powerful thing in this world. In a negative way so the best way to start is in my opinion just to go for it just do it and to be honest with you at, at first you're gonna have to hustle your balls off and you're gonna have to be at a point where it is your side hustle meaning you have a day job you have a family and you're not sleeping as much and I don't condone not sleeping but there was a long period of time where I was only sleeping four hours a night at most Then maybe five, and the reason was is because I worked at a pharmacy grocery store place on the highway, and I was going to school, and I was interning, meaning I was working for free under another coach because I wanted to learn. So I wasn't sleeping that much, and it wasn't the healthiest thing, but I learned a lot, I networked a lot, I I gained so much knowledge, and it set me up for a career that I wanted to go with. So I would say that you're gonna have to sacrifice fucking Game Game of Thrones and uh, fucking House of Cards on Netflix for a while. You're gonna have to really dial in your study, your clients, like get some clients and just use them as test su- subjects, right? Beta, make a really low end offer and just go for it. I'm helping somebody right now as we speak, he's probably listening to this, um, somewhat mentoring him, um, kind of go into the online space. And that's the first thing I said to him is like, yo, we need to reach out to a hundred people that we can get to be interested in your coaching, right? Like, you know, a hundred people off the top of your head that want to live better, be healthier, be more fit perform better, whatever it may be. Yes. Okay, cool. You're going to hit 10 up per three to four days until you get three clients and you're going to offer them a really low end offer. Like one third of what we will charge when you get the online business going. But what you're going to do with that client is you're going to over deliver and get a great testimonial and you're going to learn how to coach online. You're going to learn how to systemize. And the same thing goes for you. Um, I was going to say your name, but I don't know what it is. Calganini, the same exact thing goes for you and I'm assuming that's your last name by the way. Maybe your name's Cal. So Cal, that's the same thing I would do for you is I would say go all in on a few people. Give them a really low end price for coaching and just test the water, right? Like see how to do this shit um, because you'll never know if you don't try. And once you make that your side hustle and you start marketing yourself, you start posting about it, you start talking about it more and you put it out there on social media, people will start t- like to pick up on like, oh shit, this guy coaches people sooner or later, that's going to get popular, And sooner or later, they're going to want to hear from you. They're going to want to learn from you. They're going to want to coach with you. That's the best way to go about it. Um, So at the end of the day, it comes down to just doing it. Is it a financially stable career? Absolutely, if you're truly passionate about it, just like anything else in life. Um, And at the end of the day, you need to just go all in. And if this is your passion, I suggest you start it as a side hustle and you just sacrifice some time, sacrifice some fun, sacrifice some social. I had to sacrifice a lot of social events and a lot of time and a lot of friends and a lot of things like that that I would have loved to spend time doing. But at the end of the day, I had a vision to help people on a larger scale. And I knew that I needed to make sacrifices to get there. So that's how I would leave it for you is just just go for it. All right, guys, that is a wrap on the Q&A today. Thank you so much for being here. I just – I have to say it one more time. I seriously, seriously appreciate you guys for tuning in with me every week. I love the fact that this podcast is growing and that people want to hear me talk about this stuff because I am so passionate about it. And all I want to do is help you guys. So if you have not left me a five-star rating and review – Please go do that now. You can do so whether you are subscribed already or not. You'll have to search my podcast, the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, in iTunes. Then leave me a rating and review. You can't just go to your library. If you guys could do that for me, it would help me a lot. If you're not subscribed, please hit the subscribe button if you learned something and enjoyed it today. The more subscriptions I get and the more ratings and reviews I get, the higher I move up in iTunes. And when I move up in iTunes, that gives me the okay to put more and more effort into this. And that's what I've been doing. And it's been growing ever since. And the goal here is just to just deliver more free value to you so you can improve every aspect of your life. That is the goal here. Lifestyle optimization. Now, I'm going to let you guys go. So until next time, I'm out.